Romans chapter 15. Technology is supposed to make your life easier. Just chat amongst yourself for a minute. What are you asking me to do? I don't know what you're asking me to do. I don't know what you're asking me to do. Hey? No, no, it's all good. I just can't seem to get my... Uh... Go, 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 to... <laughs> go to Romans chapter 15 for me. You there? I don't, but we can pray for you. For you? Yeah, no worries. How about we pray for you too? Is that alright? Can we all just reach out our hands? Is that alright if we pray? Is that okay if we pray for you now? Is that, are you comfortable with that? Yep. Okay, we'll just pray for you now. Is that alright? Yep. Well, we just pray right now, Father, in Jesus' name. We pray that you would move God by your spirit, God. We, we release your healing power over their bodies right now, God. Father, we thank you, Lord. Uh, God, for medicine, we thank you for doctors, for medication, we thank you for all that stuff. We believe in it, God, but we also believe in a supernatural God that can move by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we pray right now, in Jesus' name, move upon this couple right now, God. Right, the wrongs in their body, Father, bring healing, bring restoration right now, in the name of Jesus. We release it together, Father, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Right, guess what? It opened for me. Look at that, maybe that's why it didn't open. Romans chapter 15, I want to read a couple of verses. This is Paul reflecting on his gospel ministry. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? Uh, And to cut a long story short, we've come to the conclusion from the word of God that the primary mission of the church is to preach the gospel and make disciples of all men. That's the primary mission of the church. There are lots of other things that come under the umbrella of that. Should the church feed the poor? Yes, I believe they should. (laughs) Should the church clothe the naked? Yes, I believe they should. Should the church uh, care for orphans? Yes, they should. But all these things are not the focus, they're the fruit. If we as a church are preaching the gospel and making disciples effectively, the fruit of effective discipleship is people who want to care for the poor, is people who want to... Uh, care for the, the, the widows and the orphans, is people who want to feed the hungry, people who want to clothe the naked. That is the fruit of effective uh, discipleship in the hearts of people. So when the church is preaching the gospel and making disciples and making that our primary mission and we're doing that well, then all the other things are the fruits of doing the primary mission well. So we've been looking at that from a, a biblical perspective and going over some scriptures, and it's very clear that the number one call of the church, the primary objective, is to preach the gospel. Amen? If we don't do it, what other organization will do it? Who else will do it? There are lots of groups out there that will clothe the naked, that will feed the hungry, that will shelter people that haven't. There's lots of organizations doing that, and they do a very, very good job. There are uh, uh, churches out there that are uh, doing a wonderful job doing that sort of stuff as well. And you know what? We could get involved in that in our community and we could get pats on the back from the government. We could get government grants. We could get orders of Australia. We could be seen and flashed across the news and the newspapers for doing great things. And it's all wonderful. But if the core of it all and the overriding mission and reason why we're doing it all is not to get the word of God out there, the message of the cross and to make disciples, then who's going to do that? There's one organization in the world that is called of God to preach the gospel and that is the church. 
That is the church. So we've been looking at that for the last few weeks. And then last week we looked at whose responsibility is it? And I used the illustration of a, a, a pastor who uh, I heard him, him preaching recently. He went through uh, Bible college and he went to seminary. And he was saying before all that he got saved and he was just passionate about the Lord and he wanted to tell people about Jesus. And he was doing it and then, of course, he got more educated went to Bible college and went to seminary. And one day he found himself as an assistant pastor of a church in the States. And, and, and he went up to his pastor one day and he said to the pastor, shouldn't we be out there preaching the gospel to people? And the pastor said, no, that's not our job. We're called to shepherd the flock. And he went, oh, that's sweet. That feels comfortable. That feels comfortable means I don't have to put myself out there in my faith. So he relaxed in that. And then a couple of days later he was chatting with some people in his church about evangelism. And said, well, are you guys, are you sharing your faith? And they said, no, no, that's not our job. That's the pastor's job because he's paid to do that. So before you know it, guess who's preaching the gospel? Nobody's doing it anymore. Nobody's taking the good news of the cross out there into the streets and the highways of society. Nobody's out there in their own network of personal relationships looking for opportunities, praying for opportunities, believing for opportunities, for God to open up opportunities and doors for us to get our faith out there or to pray for people or whatever it might be and so on. So we looked at uh, the mission of the church is primarily to preach the good news and make disciples. And whose responsibility is that? It's all of our responsibility. Every single one of us that have been impacted by the cross, every one of us that have been impacted by Jesus, we cannot but have something inside of us that wants to let other people know, that wants other people to experience what we have experienced. And if that's, uh, you know, I understand that we can get a bit cold after a while. I understand that life gets busy. And you know what? Sometimes church gets that busy that we've got no time for it either. That's one thing we don't want to do here. We don't want to have 15 programs a week running where you're that tied up with church people that you have no time to interact with your friends and family and relatives that don't know the Lord because we are called to be salt and light. We're called to be out there. So we're never going to be running out around doing 15, 20, 50 programs a week, we don't want that. We want people coming into church, let's get our petrol bowser in the tank, let's pump it up, let's get stirred up and let's get back out there into the world where God is, where God's doing things and let's connect, put our antenna up, go throughout our day, let's listen to what the Lord's doing, let's get involved in his mission and let's get involved in his plan. Amen? Amen. <laughs> this week I want to have a little look at, you know, years ago I, I, uh, I, I got a job at Sunny Brand Chickens. Remember Sunny Brand Chickens at Byron Bay? I just left high school and I got this job at Sunny Brand Chickens. And um, I, I was, uh, my, my, my exact title was Advanced Prepared Chicken Handler. It was on my contract. When I signed my contract, I was an Advanced Prepared Chicken Handler. And what that meant was I cut bones out of dead chickens. That's basically what it was. I basically stood in a cold room for seven hours a day and I got handed the chicken breast and my job was to cut the meat off the chicken breast so that you can have that lovely piece of chicken breast meat when you go to your supermarkets. And that was what I did seven hours a day, five days a week, and it was, it was uh, you know, a bit monotonous and so on. But, you know, when I got that job and I signed up, they gave me a pair of, of boots, nice uh, big gum boots because I was working in a big fridge all day standing. So they gave me these nice gum boots that were slip resistant and I wouldn't slip over. They gave me these big uh, set of overalls so that I was complete, I was warm and I was completely covered and I wasn't getting chicken fat and all other sorts of stuff all over me. They gave me a, a mesh glove um, so that I could wear this mesh glove so that I wasn't cutting myself. The knives we were using were razor sharp and because it was cold your hands would go numb. So what would happen is even with the mesh glove every now and then you'd, the point of the knife would go through the mesh glove. You wouldn't know until you went home at night and you had a shower. And all of a sudden, oh, gee, 
you'd have all these little holes in your fingers. I don't know how that would go down today with, with, with today's litigation and all that sort of stuff, but it worked for us. They gave me a knife, a really, really sharp knife. All the things I needed to perform the task that they had given me were supplied. They were given to me by that company. You know, in the same way, God hasn't just given us a mission and said, go out there into all the world and do the best you can with what you've got. How many of you know God has equipped us? God has equipped us to take the good news of Jesus out there into the world. We've been talking the last couple of weeks primarily about that message, about that message of the cross, that message of freedom that we have for the world. And freedom is not the authority and ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is the spirit-infused ability to do what is right in any given situation to do what is right. That's real freedom, to respond the right way, to make the right choice because so many of us have stuff inside that stops us being able to do that. Isn't that right? We've got pride, we've got hurts, we've got bitterness, we've got uh, embarrassments, we've got all kinds of things that stop us from making right choices in any given moment. Freedom is about God helping us strip away all that stuff and be able to make the right choices at the right time in any given situation. That's the journey towards freedom that we are on. But God hasn't called us just to go into all the world in our own strength. He has given us the tools and the equipment that we need. God has given us power. Who believes that? God has given to us power, Holy Spirit power that resides inside of us, that comes from God. And God has given that to us a little bit like a knife and a glove and the gumboots and so on. They are tools that are used for a specific mission and for a specific purpose. We looked at Mark 16 last week where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and these signs shall follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons, they'll heal the sick, they'll raise the dead, all these things. This is part of the tool bag that God has given to us, things that we can take out there into the world, signs, things that get people's attention on the fact that we're not here talking about a religious philosophy revolving around a historical man who died 2,000 years ago. We are here today because when that man died, guess what happened three days later? He rose from the dead. He is alive. Jesus went up to heaven and he said, when I get there, I will send the helper to you. I will send the Holy Spirit down. You know why? Because God is still doing things today and we need the power of the holy spirit if we want to engage in that mission and we want to get out there and be effective for god in romans chapter 15 and verse 18 and 19 paul speaking of his own ministry says this he says for i will not dare to speak of any of those things which christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the gentiles obedient and before we go the deeds were feeding the hungry and all this stuff, he clarifies what the deeds were. He says in verse 19, here are the deeds in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and around about to Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That word fully in the Greek is the Greek word pleru. And it literally means to bring to full expression. So to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to its fullest expression, it's not just about words but it's also about power. It's also about an experience with God. Several years ago, when I was running evangelism training schools in Brisbane, there was this uh, fair. It was called the Spirit, Soul, Body uh, Fair. You might have heard of it because I think they run a few at Byron and around the place. (coughs) Well, this one was massive. It was at the convention centre at Southbank. That's a big, big uh, building. And what we did is we got the opportunity to go on in there and you could hire a little store, pay some money and you could hire a store. So we were working with a church there and they decided, let's hire a stall. 
going in there, and we'll just offer to pray for the sick. I mean, it's a spiritual big seminar. People are open to spiritual things. Let's go there and let's just get a tent. We'll just ask people, can we pray for you? See if the Lord might want to heal some people. See if we get some prophetic words, whatever. And so I remember on the morning I loaded up the bus with a whole bunch of, of people from my training school and we drove into the city and I got lost. I didn't know where it was. Uh, I thought it was at another part of the city. So I'm on the phone ringing up everyone I can think of. Where is this thing? And then all of a sudden I, I just saw this massive big crowd of people and they were all heading in one direction. So I thought, well, I'll just follow the crowd, you know. I know you probably shouldn't as a believer, but this time I'm going to choose to follow the crowd and let's see where it takes me. So I start following this crowd and we're going through this street and turn left here and cross this road. And, and sure enough, all these hundreds and hundreds of people are all heading to the South Bank Convention Centre. I get around the corner and there's this massive big banner, Spirit Soul Body Festival. I thought, okay, sweet, we've made it. So we went up and we, we, we met somebody out the front and we got our pass. It was $20. 20 a ticket to get in to this thing. $20. So people are paying $20 before they even walked into the, to the place. <laughs> I think we estimated the money that would have gone through there that day would have been millions and millions of dollars. Not only the entry fee, but when we got in there, I was shocked to see this massive big hall set up. There would have been 100, 150 stalls. Every single one of these stalls was some kind of spiritual encounter opportunity for people. There were people reading tarot cards. There were, were, were people healing with crystals where they wave them above your head and you, there were people, um, uh, with, with, with dreads, you know, blowing smoke on you to make you heal. There were aura readings, people going, oh, I can see the green over here and the orange here and the purple there and that means you've got this and all this sort of stuff, huh? Aliens, that's right, there was alien groups there talking to people about aliens and how they've come down and the message the aliens have. Like it was out there. Everything you could think of was here. But what really struck me about that day was a couple of things. First of all, it was the demographic of the people that were there. It wasn't the hippies. Because originally when I got lost, I thought, just look for the trailer hippies and you'll find your way to this sort of an event, you know. You know what? There were very few hippies in there. There were family. It was like mum, dad and their two kids. They paid an entry fee to bring their kids into this environment, to check out all these spiritual uh, realities and different things that are going on. There were men in three-piece business suits with briefcases during their lunch break that were coming in and going up to the fortune tellers and going up to this one and sitting down. And not only were they paying their entry fee, they were then paying at a lot of the stalls to get prayed for or aura read or hear from an alien or whatever it was. They were then getting show bags given to them at the end of it. And they were walking out with amulets and trinkets and all kinds of things that they were then taking back into their homes and into their families and so on. And the demographic was amazing. It wasn't who I thought would be interested in spiritual things. The second thing that struck me was the sheer number, as I mentioned. There were, I reckon, in the course of the day, thousands, thousands of people that paraded into that building that went into that place to have some kind of of uh, encounter. Um, and all of the groups, all of the groups were offering some kind of experience. There was not one group there that was saying, sit down and let me give you information. I want you to come and sit down. I'm just going to talk to you about how tarot cards work. No, no, I'm going to show you. You're going to experience this. Come and sit down. I'm going to talk to you about aura readings. I'm going to talk to you about it. Educate you on what an aura reading is, where it comes from. No, they were doing aura readings. They were giving people experiences. And you know what? We live in a day and age right now where it's just not enough anymore to give people information. There's a spiritual awakening in the hearts of people. People want to experience God. People want to experience something supernatural. People are aware that there's something out there 
they're aware of that, but they don't know what that something is. And it's amazing how many people have been pulled away to something else because they went to something else and had an encounter. I remember chatting with a man about (coughs) probably 10 years ago now in Brisbane, and his story was probably similar to many people. He said, I was brought up in the church. I went to church every Sunday. We read from the book. We prayed to God. We did all this stuff. And then he said at about age 21, a friend of mine invited me to come along to this other, I can't remember the name of the group, but it was some other spiritual group. He said, I went along to this spiritual group. They had this prayer time and started chanting. And he said, something came down and touched me. I had this tangible physical experience of something coming down and meeting with me and he had some sickness and the sickness was gone and he said, I realise that's where the truth lies and so now I've walked away from the church and now I'm over here doing this thing. This was his testimony to me. I wonder how many people have got that testimony because they've walked into church or their whole expression of Christianity has been all about word and they've never had that encounter of the power of God. It's important that as we go out there and we attempt to be used by God and to join with God in mission, that we understand that there is a power available to us that's not there for us, it's there for mission. It's there for a purpose. Go into all the world, preach the good news. These signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow those who believe. They will come behind us if we believe it. If we step out in faith, if we trust God, if we believe God and put ourselves out there, These things will come along behind and these things will follow. I remember when we first moved to India and here we were, we we got married, we were involved in missions, we got married, moved to Bundaberg for two and a half years, uh, had our first son Caleb. Uh, Then we moved over to India and we moved into this uh, Muslim colony when we first got there. The first place we lived was this big Muslim colony. (laughs) And we'd only been there a couple of days and a guy in that colony, a Muslim family, invited us over to have a meal with them. So we went over, we sat down. We're having a meal with them. And this young man begins to share this story with me. He says to me, um, a few years ago, he said, I uh, went to the Muslim prophet. They have prophets. And he said, the Muslim prophet said to me, something bad's going to happen to you and it's going to be at a time when your mother's not around. Now, in that culture, they're all living at home with mum. Mum does everything for the boys, everything for the men. So for something bad to happen was bad enough. But for it to be at a time where you, you cannot get access to your mother was, was, was a, a very uncommon thing. Anyway, he locked this away and 12 months later he was in the army. He went away to another place, got posted, got a pain in his side, went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have cancer. <coughs> he got on the phone, tried to ring his mother, mum, please, can you come? His mother couldn't get a plane, she couldn't get a train, nothing. She said, I'm sorry, son, I cannot get to you. And he remembered the words of the Muslim prophet 12 months earlier. So he went to a Muslim priest And he said to the Muslim priest, I have this cancer now, the doctor's diagnosed me. The Muslim priest, he said, this is his story to me, the Muslim priest laid hands on me and prayed for me. I went back to the doctor, the cancer was totally healed. And then he just stared at me, just looked at me. And I could tell what he was thinking. He was thinking the same thing I was thinking. I hope I've got something more than just words to tell you. Amen? I hope I've got something more than just words to give to you today because words are not going to be enough. You know, the environment that we live in now, the spiritual openness that people have, the enemy is captivating that. He can see that that's what's going on. It's been talked about in the Bible. You go and look, it talks about in the end times, people will get more open to spiritual things. It talks about the devil and lying spirits and, and deceiving signs and wonders and so on. As we attempt to go out there into all the world, we need to tap into that power of God. We need to not just be prepared to tell people about Jesus. We need to be prepared to put ourselves out there and go, you know what, 
You don't have to believe just because I said. I believe God's big enough to show himself to you. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Invite God into that. You know, my theory is this, and I've done this for years in evangelism. If I ask a person, can I pray for them, and they say yes, that's access to God. That's, you're not saying yes to me. You're giving the Holy Spirit permission to come on in. I'm just, I'm just inviting him as one of his children to come on in and do something in your life. If I can get you to respond to that and say yes, then get ready because God's going to do some stuff, I'll tell you right now. And he does. He comes down and he does stuff. Um, anyone ever heard of the, the George Barner Institute? Barner Institute in the States. They do a lot of surveys and statistics and stuff about churches. And one overwhelming statistic they found a few years ago was that the unchurched, uh, a clear theme of the unchurched, I'll read it from, from their thing, a clear theme of the unchurched is that they are very interested in experience with God, not just information about God. They're very interested in an experience with God not just information about God. That's a challenge to the church. That's a challenge to me personally. That's a challenge to you personally and the people that we are trying to reach in the world that we're involved in. Are we just taking words to them? Or are we bold enough, and it comes back to boldness, to create opportunities for God to move, to give God access, to invite God, to put ourselves out there and go, can I pray for you? I'd like to pray for you. Is that okay? Worst case scenario, people say no, but what if they say yes? Think about it. What if they say yes? I think it was Winston Churchill once who said, when the what ifs loom larger in your mind than, than, than the why nots, then cowardice rules over courage and dreams go unfulfilled. I think that's a fantastic saying. When the what ifs loom louder than the why nots. You know, I want to be a church of why not. Why not? Why not believe God for these things to happen? Why not trust God to do the things that the Bible talks about? I don't want to come to religious meetings. I don't want to be known as a religious person. I haven't got time for this stuff. But I'll tell you what, if the power of God is there, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. I want to see the church the way that God sees the church. You see, God looks down on the church and he sees great power because he knows who's living inside of us. It's his spirit. He knows that. He's aware. He's not the issue. He's not the problem. He knows. He knows what he's given us and there's no use-by date on it. I've been through this book back to front. I cannot find a use-by date on the power of God. Nowhere here does it say, and at this particular date, it'll cease. It's not going to happen anymore. I can't find in this Bible where the power of God is concealed only to priests, prophets, you know, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I read in here in the New Testament church, and we talked about this last week in, in Acts chapter 8, when, when persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and the Bible says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord confirming the word with signs and wonders. God moved by the power of his spirit and God still wants to move by the power of his spirit today. People are interested in encounters and experiences. This is the way we have been created by God. Go back to the Garden of Eden. God did not create Adam and Eve and then throw a brochure down to tell them all about himself. The Bible says he came down daily and he visited them. What is that if it's not an encounter? What is that if it's not an experience? God wants to give us encounters and experiences. One of the, one of the problems we have with the church is that I think we have seen extremism in a lot of areas. We've seen people with extreme faith. We've seen people that take grace to an extreme. 
We've seen people that take the power of God to an extreme. And as a reaction to extremism, we go to the complete opposite and go, I don't want anything to do with that. We've got to stop thinking like that. We've got to let this book be the balance sheet. This book is our pendulum swing. This is what tells us what right theology is and what right practice is, not what some idiot over here might have done or some nincompoop over here might have said. What is this book telling us about God? Who is this book saying I am? What is this book telling me about the power of God? Because, yes, people have taken it to an extreme. People are out there. I've been praying for in meetings and had people push me over. I actually get real mad with them. I'd put my back foot like this and I'd push back at them. If they were smart, they'd let go at the front and I'd fall flat on my face. That would look even greater, wouldn't it? No? I've been there. I've done that. I've seen all the extreme stuff. It's disappointing. But you know what? I can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and go, well, I'm going to stay right away from that because I don't want to be associated with that. The truth of the matter is we serve a powerful, miracle-working God in 2015 here at G-Bar, G-Sac. But do we believe it? And do we believe it enough to take it out there? Because that's where it's needed. That's where it's needed, out there in the streets. People are drawn to the supernatural. And the enemy is providing that. Well, we largely talk about it. We're a bit like uh, that um, Gideon. Where are the miracles of our forefathers? Well, God's going, well, where are the people believing for the miracles like your forefathers? Where are the people putting themselves out there like your forefathers? Where are the people prepared to risk it like your forefathers? Where are the people prepared to take me at my word? Like your forefathers. Where are these people? Where are these people? They exist, they're here. They're in this room, I believe. People are drawn to the supernatural of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, speaking of end times, says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. In the end times, when this spiritual awakening takes place, the enemy will jump on the front foot and he will start providing stuff to get people's attention. And that's what I saw at that festival. You know, I saw a man go into a little cubicle to get aura channeled or whatever. I saw him walk out tormented by a demon spirit. He was grabbing at his hair, mumbling, get away, get away, and he ran past everybody, bolted out the front door. They're opening themselves up to spiritual things and the enemy's going, no worries, I'll get in there. I'll take, I'll take that openness. I'll take that openness. And God's there going, no, no, no. This spiritual awakening, this spiritual desire you have comes from right back in the Garden of Eden when I created you to encounter God. Not talk about religion and theology, but to actually encounter the power of the Holy Spirit. Encounter God. Have not just this natural realm that we live in, but live in that spiritual dimension as well. I'm not talking about loopy and weird. How many of you have ever seen a counterfeit or read about a counterfeit 10-cent press racket? You know, breaking news. Breaking news. We raided a, police have raided a shed in Sydney's western suburbs. Cracked a 10-cent coin counterfeit racket. There was hundreds and hundreds of dollars of 10-cent coins everywhere. Police are calling this a great success. You don't hear that. People don't counterfeit 10-cent coins. Have you ever heard of a counterfeit $100 bill racket? What about what's going around at the moment? Counterfeit 50s, they're floating all around our region at the moment. Counterfeit $50 bills, have you heard of that? Why would you counterfeit $100 and not counterfeit 10 cents? 
Because $100 has value. You only counterfeit something of great value. And in these end times, the enemy is counterfeiting signs, wonders and miracles. Why? Because they have great value. And he knows it. He knows that people want to experience God. He knows that people want to encounter God. They don't want to hear more information. We have Christian information coming out every pore of our body. We got that many, we got radio stations, we got TV channels, we got books, we got magazines, we got music, we got talk, we got everything. Churches on every corner, we got that much information that's available to people about God. If people want information about God, they can find it. They can find it anywhere in this country. But we're not called to just take information to people. I'm not a postie just delivering information. Uh, <laughs> I do have a postie friend over here who delivers information. It's his job. But we're not called to just deliver information. We're conduits of experience. We are there to bring the experience of heaven and make that connection point for a lost and dying world, a world that want to believe in something. A world that know deep down inside, you know, we have tried materialism. We've had all the money in the world. We've had the pretty girls and the good looking men. We've had the fame and the popularity. We've had the rep- we've had it all. And graveyards are littered with headstones that testify to the world money is not enough. Relationships are not enough. Success is not enough. A big house is not enough. A new car is not enough. There's something inside that people are crying out for and it's this connection with God. And we are called as part of our mission to give people that connection, to connect people up with God. That's what we are called to do. It's part of our mission. It's part of our tool bag to provide opportunities. This was the natural way that the early church spread the gospel. They didn't just talk about it. They gave opportunity for God to move in a powerful way. First uh, Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why would he do that? He tells us, so that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let me tell you something. If I can talk you into faith, and it's only based on words, somebody can talk you out. If I can talk you into believing something, and there's not a conviction in your heart that it's right, somebody can talk you out of it. It's that simple. I don't want to talk people into a relationship with God. I want people to have that encounter with God themselves. Because when you have an encounter with God, I can't talk you out of it. I can't talk you out of that. Because God is real to you. You've experienced the power of God. Nothing can take that away from you. No one can say anything. Because it's your experience. It's your experience. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. The preaching of the gospel should be accompanied by the power of God to reinforce, to confirm. What I'm telling you is not just information. God wants to confirm to you this information is true by revealing himself to you, by showing you who he is. This is why the early church got the results that they got. Today, I think we depend too much on man-made programs. We depend too much on on evangelism is a program now. 
in most churches. It's not a lifestyle anymore. It's not something that all of us just do as an overflow of expression of gratitude and love for what God has done in our life where we can't help but share that with people. Now it's, it's become a bit of a program. I've got no problem with churches running programs, evangelism programs. I'm all for that. No dramas. But the early church didn't go around town putting up flyers, Apostle Paul coming to Jerusalem next week, one week only. Bring your friends, bring out the sick. It just came out of them wherever they were, connecting with God while God was at work doing what God's doing in planet Earth. And he looked down and he just saw people, I need you, you do this, I want you to say this, I want you to pray. And they trusted God and they realized that there's more to this thing than just what I can do. I'm hooked up to God. God will do the impossible. I'll just do the possible and God will do the impossible. It's possible for me to put my hand on you. It's impossible for me to heal you, but God can do that. It's possible for me to open my mouth and share the good news. It's impossible for me to open the eyes of your heart to see it, but God can do that. God can do that. Go with me real quick to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We all know this passage, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? This is amazing. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In verse 15, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That's the real issue, isn't it? Individually, as an individual, who do you say Jesus is? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You cannot get a person to see who Jesus is. You can't do it without the power of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this age, speaking of the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God. You can't take away spiritual blinders with your natural abilities. I don't care how clever your words are. I don't care how great you can string a sentence together, preach a sermon. Unless the Spirit of God is there, unless the power of God is available and moving, and upon those words and moving upon that person, you cannot get another human being to see who Christ is. If Jesus Christ himself, walking with Peter, could not get Peter to see who he was without a revelation from heaven, what hope have you got? We're useless apart from the power of God. But God set it up that way so that we don't glory in our own efforts, so that when people get healed, we don't glory in it and go, aren't I great, I'm an amazing healer. When somebody responds positively to the gospel, we don't go, oh, aren't I a great preacher? Look at my great gift, aren't I one? It's set up that way so that we need to be in union with God and the power of God to see the results that God wants us to, to see. A few years ago, I remember uh, got a, getting a phone call. Uh, I was living in Brisbane and a lady rings me up and goes, look, I'm, a, I'm a, a Christian and I know of this young man. He's been, uh, I think he was hit by a car, a truck or something. And he's in Brisbane Hospital and the doctors have said it doesn't look good. I'm wondering, can you please, a friend of mine recommended you uh, that you might go in there and share Jesus with this young man. So I said, yeah, no worries. Got his name. Um, found out when visiting times where the next day I drove to the hospital in Brisbane. I walked into found out where he was, I walked in and here's this guy there and he's banged up and everything and not looking good. He's laying on his bed and he didn't really want much to do with me, I could tell. 
And I just tried to make chit-chat with a complete total stranger who's laying on a bed dying that I'd never seen before. It's not my, my gift. I'm, I'm, I'm much better in front of 50 people than I am one-on-one. So here I am with this guy and I'm trying to... In the end, it's like, I don't know what to do. I said, look, I got a phone call. I just want to share with you about God. Is that okay? And he was kind of indifferent about it. And I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to share this with you then I'm going to pray for you. If that's okay, I'm going to leave. Okay. So I just shared a very simple Sunday school gospel message about the cross. And afterwards I, I prayed for him. I said, Lord, he doesn't have to, and I understand why he wouldn't believe what I say. I'm a complete stranger. He didn't even know me. Yet here I am at his hospital bed while he's laying there on the brink of life or death nobody knows. God, show him that you're real. Touch him somehow. Amen. I got up and left. I went home. Two days later, um, I thought, I'll go back to the hospital and I'll just follow up and I'll see how this guy is. I went there and I walked into the room where he was and he wasn't there. I thought, okay. I don't know what happened, Lord, with him, between you and him, but I, I hope that he made the right choice. And then as I'm walking out, the nurse goes to me, oh, you're looking for so-and-so. Oh, we've moved him to this other room now. Oh, okay. So I went over to this other room. I literally had my feet in the door. I just walked in the door and he's looked up at me and gone, oh, Brother Alan, it's so good to see you. Praise God. Praise Jesus. It's excellent. You know, I'm in this room here now. I understand why I was hit by this truck because they put me in this geriatric wing of the hospital and these people might be old, but they still need to know about Jesus. And so I've been telling them about the cross and preaching Jesus. And he's, he's bugging everybody in the hospital preaching Jesus to them. Two days earlier, he was on the verge of dying. Without God, without that encounter... Without God moving upon that man's body, who knows what would have happened. He's now out there somewhere running around preaching Jesus. Last time I heard he was out and he was going to a church and so on. All because, can I pray for you? It would have been so easy to just share with him, give him a bit of information and then go, right, I've done my bit, Lord, I'm going to walk away. But to step out there and go, it's not enough, God. I want to invite you in to, to touch this guy. I want this guy to experience you. I don't want his faith to rest on the wisdom of men, no matter how clever I can explain the cross. I want him to come to faith in you. Understand you're there because he's met with you. He's encountered you. And that will change his life forever. And it did. It did. We had another phone call not long after that from another lady saying, can you come, my uh, son... Uh, he's, 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 he's got uh, uh, issues going on. He went to a, a seance or something and something's happened to him. We don't know what it is, but now he's, he's on the couch and he's, he's just in a bad way. And so I jumped in my car and drove around there and here's this young guy there and he's sitting on the couch and he's angry and like this. So I said, look, I, 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 I've got nothing I can do. I can't say anything here. I, I'm just going to pray. So we started praying. And this guy starts foaming and clenching and rocking and rolling and swaying and all kinds of weird manifestations and so on. He starts wanting to throw punches and everything like that. Spirit of God grabs a hold of him, pins his arms down. He he carries on for a few minutes. This demon leaves him. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit, breaks out in tongues, laying down in the lounge, starts smiling, laughing joyfully. God sets him free. Things like that happen when we step out in faith and we give God opportunity to move and God opportunity to do what God wants to do. It's not all about us. You see, I think sometimes what we hate about evangelism is we feel the pressure that we've got to get people saved. You don't have to get people saved. God set it up that way. You can't. 
You can't without a move of God's Spirit. What we can do is invite God's Spirit into situations. What we can do is invite God's Spirit in to touch people's lives. I'll get the, the news as to come back. I want to finish with that Calvary song again. People are dying for encounters. You know what? If word got out that there was a church in town where people were getting healed every week, verified healings. I'm not talking about just hype and talk. I'm not talking about that. That does nothing but undermine the reality of God's power. I've got a friend of mine who uh, is in the Solomon Islands and, and he's, a, he was an, he's an interpreter. When big international ministries come to the Solomon Islands, he interprets for them. And he contacted me a couple of years ago, really disappointed. He said, look, I've got this international minister's magazine in front of me here and I'm reading all the stories and testimonies of what he's talking about, what happened when he came over to the islands. I said, what's wrong with that? That's great. He said, no, it's not, because I was his interpreter. It didn't happen. Sells good magazines. Gets a lot of sponsorship and money. Might see all his hands go up and get a convert. I don't see anywhere where Jesus said, go and get converts. To make disciples. Disciples experience God. Disciples experience God. I don't want to convert you. I want you to have an encounter with God. I want you to open yourself up so God can touch you. That's only going to happen if we get a dose of boldness about us. We need to get a dose of boldness about us. The church needs to be bold. I don't know why we're not. It's probably stigmas. The church has this stigma where we're viewed this way, viewed that way, viewed. We have the best message in the world. We have the best, not only the best message, it's the most important message in the world. It's more important than Coca-Cola refreshing every day. Or Yui, we get you. You know? We have the most important message in the world. We have the most necessary message in the world. We have the most powerful message in the world. And we have the most powerful sponsor behind us when we take that message out. And we've got to do that and we've got to do it with great boldness. How do you get boldness? I want to give you a window into what the early church thought about boldness. Acts chapter 4, they actually prayed for it. Here's what they asked God. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They got together and they prayed and they said, Now, Lord, look on their threats. They were being threatened. I mean, I get called a Jesus freak or a weird religious person. But, you know, no one's going to run me through with a sword or feed me to a lion. I don't feel that worried. I might get a bit rejected and feel a bit... I can get rejected because I support the West Tigers. But that doesn't, but that doesn't stop me supporting them. Maybe it should. <laughs> now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Lord, we're praying for boldness today. We are praying for boldness today, God.
And God, just as the early church understood, when you start seeing miracles and healings and the power of God happen, when we know who is behind us, boldness comes. And so, Father, I pray for us this morning, Lord, for each of us in this room. God, I pray for myself as well. God, I pray for boldness to be upon our hearts. God, boldness to come upon our lives, Father. As the early church prayed, Father, we pray, grant your servants boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal and that mighty signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That is our prayer this morning, God. That is our prayer this morning, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us the courage to step out in faith, God. Show us your glory, God. Show us your power. Show us your goodness. God, show us your authority, God, by healing by signs, by wonders, by miracles. I pray this week for each of us that you would give us opportunities, Lord. Give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know you. Give us opportunities this week to share the hope that we have, Father. God, give us opportunities this week to pray for people. Give us opportunities this week to pray for the sick, to pray for the lost, God, to pray for those who don't know you, God. And Father, I pray that when those opportunities come, we would think back to today, the day that we prayed for it, the day that we asked for it, and that we would boldly take those opportunities, God. Thank you, Lord, for what's going on in the world. Thank you for the openness that people have to spiritual things. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you this morning that we know you. In Jesus' name. It's all just stand. We'll just finish with this song together.